sometimes we are evolving as an individual ourselves, And as our consciousness raises, we have to be willing enough to let our identity shift along with that. That some of the things that we thought were to be true and the ways that we showed up and the people who knew us that way before are probably different than the way that we want to show up going forward. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science. You're in for a fast-paced, storytelling, action-item-rich leadership growth experience. I hope you make this podcast a habit. I consider it a leadership mentoring tool. Learning together makes us better together, and that is how we change the world around us. Let's get to it. I'm here with Jim Bishop. Jim specializes in helping midlife executives to do more leading and less reacting as they create more good in the world. I love that so much. Our show, Gut Plus Science, and the entire network of People Forward Network pours into how do we help leaders do more good in the world. So I'm so excited for this conversation. Today, we're talking about moving from reactive to creative as leaders and just watching how that ripple effects helps everyone within the workplace. So Jim, welcome. I would love for you to start off by sharing what is reactive leadership, if you could bring that to life for us. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Nikki. It's an exciting topic for sure. Well, reactive leadership, I guess, in the shortest, most succinct way to describe it is the playing not to lose mentality. If we were to think about the theory of human development and how we go about gaining consciousness in our lives, I mean, if you've been around children at all, you know, the early stages of childhood are pretty egocentric. Most children think the world revolves around them and they throw themselves down in the middle of the grocery store aisle because they didn't get what they wanted, right? And the world tends to react to that child. They think that they are in control of everything, but eventually... We start learning that there are some immutable rules to the world, and there are some things and ways that we have to live within the boundaries of. And that generally is our school age years, and maybe even some of our early adulthood. We've kind of learned different ways of being. And some of us rely more upon what we would call our relationship prowess or our emotional intellect. Some of us rely upon our intellect and actually being smarter than other people. And some of us rely upon our sheer will and being able to out-strategize and out-plan and outwork many other people. And up to a certain point, those actually serve us pretty well. We stay within the boundaries and be good marks for getting along with others or getting good grades in school or even sometimes just being able to outwork and multitask. And so people develop some sense of identity by staying within those boundaries up into a point. And then our reactive behavior can actually become our most limiting behavior if we let it. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. And I'm just picturing the evolution of my life. You kind of started with that childhood experience and just like how I've learned to shift to more of that like proactive or creative. So just illustrating like the story of our lives here for a second, I want to start with we had talked about, you know, there's a gift in reactiveness. I remember you said something about that. I was like, oh, we're totally putting that in the episode. So Talk about that, the gift of reactiveness. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned, we learned this pattern of behavior. We probably tried out all three of them at some point. We just recognized that someone rewarded us more for doing one of those more than the other. So as an example, if we have relied upon a relationship progress or cultivating deeper relationships, there is a gift to that. The gift is we live rather harmoniously with other people and we can play nicely in the same sandbox and we share our joys with people. That gets you good praise and good marks. And even as a leader in an organization, you will 
probably developed some reputation about being able to put a good team together and being a quote unquote servant leader, maybe putting yourself behind the team, right? And making sure that the team gets all of the glory and recognition. People who are great and leading with emotional intelligence tend to be people who are good with other people. The gift of intellect is that generally you're able to outlearn a lot of things. Like in the world of amassing large amounts of information, the person with high degrees of intellect has been able to be smarter, faster than other people, be more neutral in their decision-making. They can be more detached from that data because the way that they've developed their identity is on how smart they are or on how much they know. And likewise, the person that has relied upon their sheer will and being able to get a lot of things done or out-strategize, they tend to get good marks and good reaction from other people because they can just get a lot of crap done. They are the natural planners, the natural organizers. Some people would even use the word natural leaders early on in life. They'll be able to like plan their weeks out and plan their months out. And they're driven by their three core objectives that they've got to get done. And you see all of these kind of behaviors coming out early. And so up until a point, these serve us very, very well. We want to maintain the gift of those. The danger is when we sometimes over rely upon that is when we lose ourselves in that gift and it becomes when we're playing not to lose, we just do more of what we've been good at. We don't learn to do other things. Yep. It could be easy to stay reactive. There's a lot of perks and benefits there. It's much harder to shift to the other side, which I feel like, spoiler alert, I already talked about the other side. We're moving to creative. So that's where we're going. It's easy to stay in reactive. It can be tougher to go to the creative. And, you know, creative, the words that were coming to mind for me, it's like, this is an opportunity for us to really, quote unquote, play bigger, to bring more of ourselves and bring more of an impact to those around us. And so talk about what is creative leadership? Let's maybe go back to that word that you used before. It's like shift, right? If we don't shift, and we'll just use the analogy of a car, you're not moving as fast as you could and you're putting in a lot more effort. Anyone that's ridden a 10-speed bike knows that if you stay in the lower gears, it's a lot harder to pedal and you can't get going faster. So in that reactive self, if we continue to lead in that space of reactivity, what happens is, yes, it is more difficult to shift if you want to call it that. But what happens is most people just get caught in the pitfall because I've been good at this. I stay good at this. And because I have developed a reputation or a brand identity around this, if I shift, the feeling is I have to give something up. So as an example, if I stay in the gift of my reactive state of using my relationships, pretty soon I can lose my authentic voice because I'm always subordinating my voice to everybody else's voice in a desire to keep harmony. And the fear is if I speak my voice, then sometimes what happens is I will create disharmony. People may not like me as well. And so the danger of staying in that space is you lose your authentic voice. If I stay in the gift of my intellect, and as we all know, the world of AI is here and information just keeps coming faster and faster. I lose my identity of wanting to be smarter than other people or having more information. And I fear being found out that I don't. So this is when people get promoted to a new role or people get put into a situation where they're leading a team that they're not the subject matter expert of. What happens is they will become a little bit more scared because they're starting to feel the loss of being the smartest person or being able to amass that information. These are the people who are also going to fear the rise of the robots, if you will, the AI world that is, quite frankly, learning faster than we are. 
if I stay in the gift of my will, then we all know what happens there. We see burnout around us all day long. People trying to out strategize, out plan, out outlast, out play other people. And I have been able to get a lot of stuff done, but in the world of productivity today with productivity apps and all these other things that are going on, it is just physically impossible to separate from work because work is with us all the time. And if what my identity is, if I'm not working, I am not valuable. Therefore, then I don't know how to turn work off and I burn out. So this is when the danger of the reactive gets in the place because we haven't upshifted. We haven't made work easier for us. What we've done is just continue to do more of the way that we've shown up previously. And at some point in a leader's journey, they will come to a kind of epiphany moment. Some of us come to it naturally by aging. Some of us come to it because it's a moment in time when we realize I just can't keep up. I can't do it. I can even just illustrate it through my own journey. We had three children. We decided to adopt number four. That meant we were expecting a child, but then we also found out that we were expecting another child. So we went from three children to five children very rapidly. And at the point in my career, I was traveling. I was doing very good. I was what you might call climbing the ladder, but I just couldn't do it anymore because those two things didn't fit. I couldn't keep traveling and be the dad that I wanted to be. And it was kind of in that moment when I realized work isn't working for me anymore. I'm going to have to upshift something here to make work a little bit easier so that I have more capacity and more hard space to lead more productively at home and at work. And that's when we have this wrestling. And a lot of leaders really don't know what that wrestling is. They feel like they're losing something because they have to give up part of that reactive gift that they've come to know. But what they're really gaining is the opportunity to self-author their future. And that's really how we would define creative leadership is when you feel like you're no longer playing not to lose, you're playing to win. And you're the one that set the rules of the game, not anyone else. This is when you realize, like, I've thought way too much about myself and I've worried about how many other people have thought about me only to realize there aren't very many people thinking about me anyway. They're thinking about themselves. And when you come to that moment in time, you realize I can set the boundaries of what I'm good at. You step into your own innate gifts and talents. You take responsibility for the decisions you've made in the past and the decisions that you'll make in the future. And you realize you have the capacity to make a slight change in the way that you're moving in life. You don't have to play by those rules that you once perceived were immutable. It's really good. And I feel like it's giving me language to put a word to things that I didn't know really how to define before. Going back to what you were saying about AI, and there's a lot of fear out there. I mean, we hear all the time and across various titles in business because we do a lot of future of work related content. And you just hear this fear constantly in the bottom line. Now more than ever, we must apply our creative with the acceleration of tech. I love AI stuff. And I was just talking to a friend yesterday. There's two different tools we were looking at. And I was like, literally, since we talked a month ago, there's like five new ones out. I don't even know the names of them, like to try to keep up. And it's the must. We must change our mindset and add this creative application. I have a story about you sharing the creative leader is truly authentic and self-directed and things and is playing to win, not to lose. It's an abundance mentality versus scarcity. And I took an assessment last year. It's like a discovery tool. It's called the YOS, focused on your why, your how, your what. The founder actually partnered with Simon Sinek to tap into the why stuff. And then they did some stuff with the why, how, and what. So my why is contribute, which did not surprise me at all. Like that is contributing to a bigger cause, making meaningful impact. My how is a better way. And 
it was the first time in my life that I could, without shame, speak into whatever I was going to do different than two months ago, because this validated that that's just who I am. And a lot of people aren't that. A very small percentage of people have that how. I felt like I was getting put in a box because of that versus like, that's a gift of mine and it has changed my life. And since then, it's like, I don't really care what other people are doing or what they're saying. It just really helped me to eliminate that. Before I was always talking to myself about who cares, but I did, I did care. And then it's just been like, it really unleashed the most creative version of me yet. So I wanted to tell that story, but I want to come back to just that mindset shift that if you were to summarize what you would challenge our listeners to take around mindset shift, and then we'll keep walking on creative leadership. Maybe the way I'll answer that is by describing the clients who find me. And all leaders want to grow. All leaders say that they have opportunity for growth. But the leaders who generally are at this place, a pivot in this mindset, are those that are feeling kind of this wrestling and maybe even a destabilization going on in their life. And they think it makes them weird. They start hiding. They start getting shame around it. Like, what if my goals have changed? What if the things I thought I wanted are different than what I want? Am I going to be incongruent with how everybody sees me? So at this point in their journey, you know, they may have the cars, the toys, the house, the title, the spouse, all the accoutrements of what success was defined by in their previous life. And now all of a sudden they're realizing somewhere along the journey, I gave up a lot to get that. I might have given up time with my family. I might have given up relationships with my friends. I might have given up leisure and even creativity in a space of ideation and thinking because I'm so constantly reacting to the world around me. They don't have that language. And much like you've said, language gives you the opportunity to step into it. But what they see is I'm not stuck and I'm not burned out. I just don't feel the same as I used to. Maybe the fire isn't as burning as hot. Maybe I'm not as passionate about chasing the trophies or the rewards. And they find me and they think that there is something like mentally unstable or something that's going on with them, or they feel maybe I'm just not who I used to be. That's a good thing. That's actually very good because I tell people sometimes learning feels like you have to fall apart a little bit first. And even the first phase of my coaching with other clients is we have to disrupt a lot of the current ways that you know to be true today so that you can step into a place that's different from tomorrow. And that disruption phase is unlearning some of those unmutable rules. What are the complicit agreements that you've made with yourself that if I am not nice, therefore I will not be valuable. If I am not busy, therefore I will not be productive. If I am not what, then what, right? And we just step through a lot of those things. That gives people the understanding of what they have to unlearn so that they can bridge to this person that they want to be in the future. And then we can just continue to pick step after step after step and grow in it. So I guess if you're to say, what is that mindset that people have? It's just that sometimes we are evolving as an individual ourselves, And as our consciousness raises, we have to be willing enough to let our identity shift along with that. That some of the things that we thought were to be true and the ways that we showed up and the people who knew us that way before are probably different than the way that we want to show up going forward. And it should be because if you're literally going to find another gear, you're going to be cruising down the road differently than you cruise down the first part of it. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Thank you. I'd love for you to bring this to life and, you know, someone you've worked alongside illustrating this person that you see doing this really well as a leader. Creative leadership is in their blood nowadays. Maybe it wasn't always that way, but that is how they are showing up now. Feel free to mention a name or just describe that person, but would love to hear this leader that you admire and kind of illustrate what that looks like. 
Yeah, I work with a lot of um, what I would call C-suite individuals, right? And so the danger of being in the C-suite is it's also lonely at the top. There's a lot of places where you can't or they feel like they can't share their authentic self with other people because it could send a ripple down through the organization that might cause destabilization, or it could even send the company valuation into a tailspin, depending on how public the information is shared. So they get locked into the mind that I can't talk to other people. And this chief financial officer, CFO, was in that space of just playing by the rules. This is my job. This is what I do. I look at spreadsheets. I talk to the board. I give evaluations. But what they weren't necessarily doing is thinking about what do I need to do differently to make this operate better, faster, smarter, cheaper. And they were still worrying about what do other people around me think? It was kind of a a wrestling of sorts for a very long time. And we got to the point of realizing like how many people are higher in the org chart than you are and how many people actually have to agree that you're doing a good job for you to keep your job. And when this individual realized that there were only the CEO and the CEO hand selected them. So they felt pretty good about that. And what this person realized was they were spending a lot more time looking at their rearview mirror than they were their windshield. And they were so busy answering emails and so busy responding to requests and taking calendar entries that what they really hadn't thought of is what's the five-year plan or what do I want this to look like when it's all said and done? When it's all said and done, what do I want to be said and done? I think that was the pivotal question that helped them realize this was more about their legacy than it was about their current leadership. And they had to be building a system that was transformative for the people that followed them rather than just living in the system that was already built. And they had gone from what I would call like a manager mentality into a true chief financial officer mentality where they were authoring things. What happened is they were able then to say yes or no with greater clarity. Like when a calendar entry came in, this is a hell yes, or this is a definite hell no. They were able to then prioritize meetings on their calendars. They were able to realize I don't have to answer every single email to still be a congruent leader. They got more proactive about doing what I would call like town halls where they're sharing vision with people. And really they pivoted from some of the basic ways that we used to define leadership of organizing, planning, controlling, and directing. And they pivoted more into this space of vision and architecture and catalyzing and coaching other people. And when they started getting into that coaching mentality, partly because they were in a coaching relationship with me and they understood what coaching really was, they started coaching their team rather than directing their team the whole system of leadership around them started to flourish because people all of a sudden could be self-leaders. They weren't constantly coming and saying, can I get this piece of paper signed? Can I go ahead and get this approval? Do I have authority to spend this much money? They were already taking the permission that they wanted to see in the organization. And the words that this person used was leadership was about power for them. And when they realized that power could be better distributed and shared, that was the truest definition of empowerment. And that's what they kept complaining about was their staff just wasn't taking responsibility and they didn't want to be an owner and they didn't have this entrepreneurial mindset. But when they realized I can share some of that power with people by coaching them, what happened was the entire system started to change and they all got better off. So here's the example of when they are in that reactive space, you're holding your team back. But when you get to this creative space, it not only upshifts your leadership, it upshifts the entire leadership of the organization because people step into that vacuum. And just such a more freeing life. Two of the things that I wrote down just as takeaways, I'm sitting over here typing a bunch of notes. Number one is eliminating the harmful shoulds. 
it's never a eliminate all the shoulds because there's definitely things we need to show up and should be polite. But there's a lot of harmful shoulds that we've made up in our mind that are the rules of your past um, that are not serving us. So what kind of harmful shoulds do you have that aren't real? They're not good. The other is, you know, if we work backwards from having a clear understanding of what is a meaningful life to me with how I spend my time, what I get to do. I just did a podcast episode recently with my husband on the power of retreats and why is it that so many people don't take time for retreats, time, money, right? All those things. But that's how you get clear. You got to take the time to get clear on what you want. And so you can design that life. And that's part of the creative. So with that, this is just so good. I feel like we could go on forever, but in an effort of time, I'd love, Jim, if you could take us through the journey of reactive to creative, sharing the high level of how we get from here to there. I've yet to see someone be able to do it in a vacuum by themselves. So I think the best way to do it is in relationship. Now, again, depending on where you're at in creation of relationship with other people, it might mean you need to go out and find some new friends or create new relationship. Because the way that most executives have shown up in relationship is pretty guarded, quite candidly. The coaching relationship is one of those where they can be 100% guaranteed that their anonymity is going to have confidentiality across the rest of the organization and their anonymity will be protected when it comes to sharing information with others. That may be helpful for them. But to be in a relationship where they're able to talk things through because it is a destabilizing process to go through an identity shift not just a skill set shift. It's not just about doing things differently. It's about seeing the world differently. And once they get to that, first of all, they're going to have to recognize some of the things are not serving them today. And they're going to need to destabilize that. They're going to need to disrupt many of those current patterns of learning. And the brain is going to have to adjust to that. They're probably addicted to dopamine. And what they need to get more addicted to is serotonin. Serotonin gives us much more of a feeling of fulfillment in a relaxing sense. Dopamine just gives us the rush. It's the rat in the maze reward. So if we're answering emails all day and then we have that dopamine rush, if what we do is we go on retreats and we think reflectively and we look big picture, some of those things are serotonin setting into our system and we get a sense of fulfillment and a sense of belonging from that. Once they do that, then what they're going to be able to do is put some of those goals and those aspirations out there that they've probably been afraid to. That's the bridging phase is we're going to set our vision pretty high. And then, you know, what do you want five years from now to look like? What do you want people to say about you? It sounds a little strange, but we might put a postmortem in place and say, when it's all over with, what do you want people to be talking about? What legacy do you want to be living behind? And then it's the leader showing up day after day after day in the growth phase and just saying, here's the situation. Here's what I'm working on and letting someone else hold them accountable because that old self is going to want to rise back up that over controlling freak or that over relational person or that over intellectual person. They're all going to want to rise back up in the moment of stress. And you're going to need an accountability partner there alongside of you that understands what you're trying to become and can say, are these decisions still serving you? So that to me is the journey. Stepping into the 18 competencies that are correlated most with leadership effectiveness and business success gives us a roadmap of how to move away from our reactive strategies that we've learned. Mm, that's awesome. So Jim, we would be happy to link out with some resources that you have available, just referencing some of the things that you shared so that listeners can go a little bit deeper, whether it's on the 18 things or just some of your stories of impact or whatever. And then we'll also make sure that listeners have your contact information here in just a minute when we do our lightning round. But before we head to our lightning round, I'd love if you could elaborate on this belief that I heard you say on our last conversation. You said leaders must go first. 
I love that. Tell us what you mean. What I mean in that journey is most of us will recognize what we want to see in other people first. We're going to see that we want them to be more at ease or more peaceful with others, or maybe we're going to recognize some of those limitations of them living in their reactive. They're going to see people that are over-controlling the situation or over-planning or even over-functioning as it relates to their relationship. They'll know that they need to give someone quote-unquote critical feedback at some point in their journey. What we're recognizing in others is usually something that was rising up in ourselves. And it's easier to speak it into somebody else's life because we're all experts in someone else's life than we are our own. Oftentimes, what I do in my coaching relationship is just ask them to start looking in the mirror before they start looking out the window. And what I mean by that is it's easy for me to point out how do I want to control other people? But what that's showing me is my over-controlling nature. It's my desire to say this has to change. And it's easier for me to change someone else than it is to change myself. But when we rise up against that and we say, oh, I'm actually over controlling the situation, or sometimes it's the shadow behavior that shows up where I don't want to be over controlling. So I just become overly nice. But that means I still have a controlling nature and I'm going to do it through passive aggressiveness and give them feedback rather than trying to do it myself. And so what I tell people here is if you see those things happening that just get under your skin with other people, the leader has to go first. You have to model the way for other people to show what creative leadership looks like. Because if you're not living in creative and what you're doing is living in reactive, then there's no reason for people to believe that leadership gets rewarded for being in the creative space. What they see is reactive leadership gets rewarded. And way too many of our corporate hierarchies do reward reactive leadership. And what happens is people get burned out in the middle of all of that because they're over-functioning in many of their gifts of the reactive. But when we've worked for a leader who is in that creative space, and I'm guessing all of us have at one point in another, they're the person that just self-authors and goes about working in the world that doesn't seem like things get them down and they lead with more joy and creativity. When we've worked for a person like that, we know that that's a leader that we want to become like, and we naturally start following them. And so for 25 years, I put butts in seats in training programs, and I tried to create the atmosphere where people believed that could happen. And what would happen is they would go back to a leader who was reacting and not creating, and they would say, see, I told you this stuff didn't work because they didn't see that leadership being modeled. But with my clients today, if we get the leader to go first, the team just naturally comes behind them. They see it happening, and then we can just pour on the gravy with a little bit more language and giving them the frameworks. And the team just says, oh, now I understand what they're doing. And then once the team starts pivoting, the culture starts pivoting and the whole culture starts becoming more creative, less reactive, more empowered, less reacting. And so what we see is major, major culture shifts as that. So for me and my business, the thing that I always say, the leader has to go first and that's when it works best. Mm. It's just so inspiring just sitting here listening to the descriptions of these leaders and the stories of those that you work alongside and their evolution. It's just inspiring even hearing it. And I think one thing to mention, we talk about this a lot on the show, as with many things in our lives, it's an ongoing thing. You never arrive. So it's like, hey, first step is I'm going to disrupt my past and get rid of the old stories. I'm going to get in relationship with somebody like Jim, who can be my coach and great peers around me. And, you know, we start to see that leader that is guiding greatness inside their workplace, but it can't stop. It's not a season. It's a forever thing. And man, just such a more rewarding way to live. I've loved this episode. I feel like we could talk forever, but I've got to start to wrap us up here so we can talk about 
some fun things here in our lightning round. Jim, thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and we'll be right back for our very quick lightning round to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you. We'll be right back. Work Human is the pioneer of employee recognition and their podcast, How We Work, highlights everything that shapes the employee experience and what leaders can do right now to change it for the better. If you are leading meaningful work experiences for others, this show is a must. Subscribe to How We Work anywhere you listen to podcasts. And after you listen in, I want to know your takeaways. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science. So we've had just such a great conversation today. Jim, Bishop, you have me all fired up. So I'm ready to go exercise more of my creative muscle today after this uh, episode. I want to learn a little bit more about you. The first question that we love to ask in our lightning round, we have an ever-growing recommended reading list for every guest that has been on the show. What is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read that applies to a leadership audience? The book is called Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. It's really about the cognitive dissonance model and how we can trick our brains into thinking that we're correct, but everybody else is wrong. Oh, cool. That's a new one for our list. Thank you. Okay, Jim. So what or where provides the most inspirational creative workspace for you? Definitely out in nature, hiking with leaves under my feet and fall sun coming through the trees. Awesome. Okay. How about a life lesson learning that you would most love to share with your younger self if you could go back? Yeah. Stop worrying about what everybody else is thinking about you because nobody else is really thinking about you anyway. That's good. Ties right in with what I was telling you earlier about my YOS results. Can you say that again the way you said it? Is that an exact quote? Because it's real good. Yeah. I just said, stop thinking about you because nobody else is thinking about you nearly as much as you are. Yeah. It's good. Really good. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Every single listener can take that as a huge nugget. We can all get better at that. Finally, Jim, how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? Yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn. That's where I post most regularly, usually about two times a day. I'm on there posting something, content that I found on LinkedIn that I like or something that I've authored myself or a video from some of my walks in nature and my retreats. I also have my website, conjunctionleadership.com. It has articles and blogs and a little bit of the framework by which we work on. So feel free to connect there. And all of the podcasts that I've been a part of are also put up on that platform. So you can listen to different ones, including hopefully soon, Get Plus Science. This conversation with Jim today just has me really thinking deep. So many things around how to shift all time and energy towards the creative. I love this episode. Thank you so much, Jim. Here's my truth you can act on from the conversation. I got a lot of takeaways. Number one, there are a lot of benefits to living in reactive because it's comfortable and it provides harmony, but we have to make the decision to get outside our comfort zone. Like we hear this, you know, lifelong lesson here, but it's really important to get outside that comfort and the harmony to play bigger. And that is the creative side. Creative is about playing to win, not playing not to lose. Number three. Recenter yourself to realize what you really, really want. Have a clear understanding of what a meaningful life is to you and work backwards to be able to show up as the most authentic version of yourself. I love so many of the stories that Jim shared that tied into that today. Number four, disruption must occur to unlearn the rules of our past to embrace the road to the future 
And disruption includes eliminating harmful shoulds. We're all programmed with like should do's. Yeah, there's some legit should do's like be polite. But there's also a number of should do's that we've learned that aren't serving us. Number five, going from reactive to creative is an ongoing journey and we must do it in relationship with others. That's a key point. So the people around us that are our peers, having a coach, we've got to have people surrounding us to help us elevate. And we do the same for them. And number six, leaders must go first. Look inside before looking out the window. I love that message. And I love the part in the episode about that today with Jim. All right, go be a visionary. Go architect your future and be a catalyst and a coach and Let's just all challenge each other as leaders to get out of the director, tactical, administrative mode and to force ourselves to get outside the comfort zone. Really love this episode. Thanks again, Jim. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.